Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him the hour when he began to get better. They said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your word, and we ask that you would enable us now to hear and believe and help us to live according to what you tell us here. Please open our hearts and eyes and minds by the power of your spirit. It's not what I say, but it's what you have to say to us in your word. Give us believing hearts and minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm a part of a discussion group with a group of atheists. I'm the token Christian. And one of my atheist buddies on several occasions has said to me, Bob, I have a 10-digit number written down on a piece of paper in my wallet. It's a totally random number. And if I walked outside and saw that number written in the sky, then I would believe in God. It couldn't be hard for God to do that, right? If God wants me to believe in Him, all He has to do is put that 10-digit number in the sky. And without missing a beat, I reply, absolutely not. You would not start believing in God. You would find some other way to explain it or simply ignore it. David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear. Certainly some kind of magician or illusionist can put a number in the sky. And I can respond to him with that kind of confidence because what we read throughout the Bible of what brings people to faith and what does not. And what does not usually bring people to faith is seeing miracles and signs and wonders. This usually doesn't work. We intuitively think that if we just saw something that we could not explain, if we could see a miracle, then we believe or have more belief. Then we have the certainty to do the really courageous things God calls for. But over and over again in the Bible, with the Exodus generation, with the generation during Elijah's time, or during Jesus' public ministry, witnessing miracles, signs, and wonders did not lead to lasting faith. That's why here in this passage, Jesus basically says, you all are demanding signs and wonders. Well, I'm not going to do them for you. If you aren't a Christian, what would it take for you to believe? What would God have to show you? And if you are a Christian, maybe you wonder why you don't see more miracles or God showing up more in your life. Is it because you don't have enough faith or the right kind of faith? What does lead to lasting faith? What is convincing and how does faith work? That's what this passage is about. And we're going to look at it under three headings of faith. Faith needs, faith listens, and faith walks. Those three points. First, faith needs. 
this story is, an, is about an official in the town of Capernaum. We don't know uh, if he was a, a Roman official or part of Herod's household. Um, we don't know. But the story ends with his boy being healed and his whole household believing in Jesus. The story ends in deep, rich, solid faith. But the story also begins with faith, at least some kind of faith. This official has a sick, dying son on the verge of death. Now, if you were this father and you heard that a wonder worker had healer had just moseyed into town, well, you'd probably send for him to come. Hey, why not? What's the harm? But this father only hears that Jesus has come into the region of Galilee. This healer, Jesus, is over a day's walk away, 20 miles through rough, rough terrain. But the father gets up anyway and goes to bring Jesus back. He leaves his dying son. He won't be back for three days or so to go get Jesus. When do you do that? When you've tried everything else and you've exhausted every other option. It is a great risk for this man to leave his son, but he's desperate. And desperation can be a great starter, though, for faith. This man has at least a spark of hope, a spark of faith that perhaps Jesus can do something. So he goes on his way, this risky three-day round trip, 20 miles there and 20 miles back. Almost always, faith starts with need. I preached through Exodus uh, a few years back, and one of the things that my church and I saw there is that in order to know God, you have to need God. In order to know God, you have to need God. If you don't need God, then God is simply an abstract notion or an intellectual curiosity. But needing God can lead to a relationship with God. Because there's at least enough faith to cry out, to ask, to approach Him, like this Father does here. He comes, he, he comes before Jesus. He has a conversation with Jesus. Jesus does something wonderful for him, and it all started with a need. When we're desperate, we will say or do anything to get help from anywhere, and most of us don't find ourselves in that, that kind of situation most of the time. We don't have urgent needs that need solving for in the next 48 hours, like this father had, to catalyze our faith. But all of us do have deep, desperate needs. Here in this passage, the problem is death. And that's our problem too. That's the world's problem. We are all dying. Our children are dying. Right? Without a lot of work and grace, our marriages and friendships are dying. Our careers are dying. Our institutions are dying. Our country will one day die, most likely. My church and this local church will die one day, most likely. Death is the way of this world. Like many of you, most of my congregants work in technology. And I've spoken to several of them who wonder about the usefulness of their job. Right? Some talk about the project they're on and, and the thing they're building will be obsolete in two years or less. They put so much sweat and blood into something that is almost DOA, dead on arrival. Do we bring our problem of death to God? We have all kinds of hurts from the past, problems in the present, anxieties about the future. We have needs, deep ones, and we should be taking these to God and often aren't. For those of you who've been Christian for years, I bet there are things in your life you care deeply about that you are not talking to God about. What are they? 
significant relationships, mental health issues, body image, past hurts, career, whatever. There are things you are reluctant to bring to God. Why? Why do we wait until we're urgently desperate to often bring our needs to God? Well, like in this passage, maybe because there's a cost to it. Right? For this dad, the cost was leaving his son's side. For us, maybe we're afraid of what God will say. Or maybe we're ashamed to admit our need. Maybe we're afraid of losing control and having it taken out of our hands. There's something difficult for competent and successful people to bring needs to God. And that's most of you. Jesus elsewhere talks about how hard it is for the rich to enter his kingdom. And I think one of the reasons why is because the relatively rich don't feel like they have needs or not many needs their competence and resources cannot or should not meet. Why else do people get an advanced degree? Why go to a prestigious college? Why pursue a Silicon Valley career? So you can handle anything that comes your way. You ought to be able to. If you are wondering why you seem to have little faith or why God doesn't seem to be a bigger part of your life, perhaps you just don't think you need him that much or don't want to need him that much. But you do. And that's often where real faith begins. What deep needs aren't you bringing to God? Faith begins with what we lack. Faith needs. The Father here brings his need to Jesus, and then he listens. Second point, faith listens. Verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This father is asking Jesus to come down with him to take this 20-mile walk back to Capernaum to heal his son. And Jesus basically says no in verse 48. It's been a challenging verse for 2,000 years. It seems a little obscure what Jesus is saying. And one of the problems is that Jesus is speaking to more than one person, but that doesn't come through in the English. He says, unless you all see signs and wonders, you all will not believe. Jesus is making a comment about his generation and ours. We think we need to see to believe, and Jesus disagrees. He knows that doesn't create faith. So he's saying, you all want to see me do signs, but that isn't the way to faith, and I'm not going to do that. This is clearly a rebuff to the Father. Jesus is saying, no, I will not go down to Capernaum with you. It's very interesting that in most of the gospel stories about healing children, Jesus pushes the parents. The Syrophoenician mom, the dad of the epileptic boy. He doesn't give them an easy answer. He rebuffs them or calls them to greater faith. Here he says, I'm not interested in being a public spectacle. Which might be why Jesus pushes them a bit. These parents are desperate for their kids to be healed. And so Jesus is asking, are you just covering all your bases? Or are you engaging with me, the Son of Man, the Christ? Do you know who you are talking to? Are you really listening? In each episode, like this one, the parents persist. They engage Jesus. Faith listens, even when the initial answer seems to be no. So here this father listens and persists. Verse 49, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So, Jesus does care about the dying boy. 
but he doesn't want to draw attention to himself and make a public spectacle. So he'll heal from a distance, right? 20 miles. The thing is, the father now has to take Jesus at his word. He has to believe the word that Jesus spoke to him and then walk back by himself. How many of us would? Your son is dying. Getting this miracle worker is your last chance. It's a Hail Mary pass. You spent 36 hours to get to him. Now, you leave without bringing him back? I'm reminded of the Denzel Washington movie, John Q. His son has heart failure, and the hospital won't do a transplant because the HMO won't cover it. His wife calls him and tells him that news, and he's trying to calm her down. He's like, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. She says, John, you always take care of everything, but it's never enough, is it? Now you need to do something. You hear me? Do something. So he gets a gun, and he holds up the hospital to force the transplant. What was going through this father's mind as Jesus says to him, no, I'm not going with you, but you can leave. Your son is healed. Did he have his wife's voice in his head? Don't come back unless you bring the miracle worker. Your son is dying. What would you do? Would you listen and take Jesus at his word? This father heard Jesus say, go, your son will live. And he believed him. Enough to start walking back without him. Why? We don't know from the passage. But faith listens. Maybe there was something about Jesus, his body language, his voice, the look in his eyes that made the father trust him. Maybe the father was given supernatural trust. But he could take Jesus at his word. He used his ears, his ears rather than his eyes. He didn't see any miracle. Instead, he listened to Jesus' voice and trusted him. Some of you these days are bringing your needs to Jesus, and he's speaking to you about them. Are you listening? Are you using your ears rather than your eyes? You know how you learn to trust Jesus' voice? You've got to be around him enough to get to know his voice. You bring your needs to him. You stick close to him, even when he seems to say no. You listen. You process who you really are before him in prayer, in reading scripture, in scripture being taught to you, in meditation. As you go through your day, you invite Jesus in. Persist. Engage. Listen. What does Jesus say to you about your deepest fears and concerns? Faith listens and learns to trust his voice. Thirdly, the heart part comes. Faith then walks. Faith walks. This father had a 20-mile walk ahead of him back to Capernaum and his dying son. More than a day. He hopes, believes that he will find his son alive at the end of the walk, but he can't be certain. He's not walking by sight. Can you imagine that walk? You would probably have Jesus' words ringing in your ear. What Jesus actually said was, your son lives. Those words going through your mind, your son lives. But can you imagine the accompanying doubt and fears on that 20-mile walk over a day? This is the challenge Jesus gives to this man. Are you okay not seeing? Can you simply hear and obey? Can you listen and walk in faith without sight? The man travels for over a day, and before he gets home, he is greeted by 
his servants. Verse 51, they met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. You know, this father already had faith to some extent, right? He, he had enough faith to go to Jesus. He had enough faith to leave Jesus. But now he really believed, right? That's how this works. Our faith is confirmed, usually, when we're already walking by faith, not by sight. Many of us can testify that, how God has changed our lives or rescued us from addictions or trauma, rescued us from guilt and shame, rescued our kids or our marriage. But those interventions are often the exception. The rule is, Christians right now are in the middle of that 20-mile walk back home. All Christians are on the same walk this Father was on. We have heard Jesus' voice. We are trying to trust Him. And we need to walk in obedience to His voice. Without seeing everything. Without seeing the outcome. What has Jesus told us? Well, basically the same thing he told this man. He said to this man, your son lives. And that's actually repeated three times. When the servants met him, they didn't say, your son's recovering. They said, your son lives. And when he remembered Jesus' words at the seventh hour, they were, your son lives. Three times repeated in this passage, your son lives. On this 20-mile walk of faith, the father knows the son is dying or may already be dead. The world says he's as good as dead, but Jesus says he lives. We live in a world of dying things. You and I are dying. Our loved ones are dying. The things we build are dying. Our companies are dying. Our homes are dying. Our institutions are dying. This is the way of the world. Everything dies. Does anything live? What Jesus says to us is, in me you live. Though you die, you live. Your body lives. Your soul lives. I make things live. So you can trust me with death. You can trust me with the death of your dreams. You can trust me with the death of your career. You can trust me with the death of your reputation and your status and your relationships. Here's a doozy. You can trust me with the death of your loved ones. Do you remember the story of Jairus from the other Gospels? Another story of a parent. Jairus was a synagogue leader, and his little daughter was sick, near death. So he goes and gets Jesus. Jesus was in the same town at that time. And this time, Jesus agrees to go with Jairus to his sick daughter. But on the way, remember, Jesus stops to heal and talk with this random woman. And while that's happening, Jairus' servants come and tell him, Hey, I'm sorry, your little girl has died. Imagine his thoughts if they had just if they had just hurried, perhaps she'd still be alive. And the servants say, You don't need to you don't need to trouble Jesus anymore. But Jesus turns to Jairus and says, You can imagine Jesus pulling him close, even maybe whispering to him, She nearly sleeps. Don't be afraid. Just believe. She's just sleeping. Just believe. Imagine Jairus' walk back to his house with Jesus to his dead little girl. Just believe. Don't be afraid. That's the walk we are all invited to take. That's the walk of faith. To live as though dying things aren't really dead, but not yet seeing them fully alive. Why do that? 
because Jesus lives. He died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose. That means that now eternal life, resurrected life, is invading our dying world. We are invited to walk as though things live rather than die. You live. Your meaning and purpose and value live. Your loves live. Your hopes and dreams live. Your work lives. Your marriage lives. Your faithfulness. Everything you do in faith lives. This sermon, the dead on arrival, Jesus will make live in the hearts of those who need it. But your sin, your failures, your mistakes, they all die on the cross with Jesus. Now we have it better than this father had it here in the passage because on our rocks, we have Jesus go with us by his spirit. He lives in us, he points us to the truth, and he fights for us. We have Jesus' words with us in scripture. We have one another to encourage each other on the way, on this walk. We have his sacraments, baptism and communion. Physical signs of this promised eternal reality. So this story here breaks up these aspects of faith that are actually always swirling together. As we walk, we keep bringing our knees to Jesus. We keep lingering and listening to Him. We keep walking by faith and not sight. Sometimes we see amazing confirmation of God's power and love. Sometimes all we can do is hold on to Jesus' word that His life conquers death. But it is in this whole process of bringing our needs and listening and walking not by sight that faith is confirmed and vindicated in our experience. That's why I try to explain to my atheist friends the only way to prove faith is to use faith. That's it. The only way to prove faith is to use faith. Did you notice here in this passage no one actually saw a miracle? Because it happened over a long distance. The father didn't see it. He only heard Jesus' words. His family at home didn't see it. They only saw the boy recover. But his whole household ended up believing on the basis of the father's testimony. Because his trust in Jesus was confirmed. Recently, there's a story about Chinese parents who were reunited with their long-lost son. In 1997, their two-year-old boy was taken from their doorstep in China. Apparently because of the one-child policy at the time, there was a black market for kids. This boy was adopted by other parents. But his birth father never stopped looking for it. Over 24 years, he crisscrossed China, wore out 10 motorcycles. He was hanging banners on the back of his motorcycle saying, Son, where are you? Alongside an image of the boy in a puffy orange jacket. <coughs> Sorry. Dad is looking for you to come home. He publicized the situation and thousands of others. And DNA testing finally matched their now adult son to them. It was a joyous reunion. The father told one television host, our child has been found. From now on, only happiness is left. Now we have an idea of what he means. And we wish it were true. That finding or healing a loved one is all we need. But sadly, it's not true. Death is relentless in this world. For every human being, our greatest, deepest needs can only be met on the other side of death. And we are invited to bring those needs to Jesus, to listen to him, and walk in the direction he points. That's faith. In our frustrated careers we fear are going nowhere, in our loneliness that seems to have no end, 
in our efforts to change that seem so futile, in our relationships that continue to disappoint, in whatever way death stalks us, Jesus says, I hear you and I'm with you. Don't walk by sight. Take the 20-mile walk by faith. I make things live. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for this passage. And we ask that by your spirit, you would help us to hear and believe. Help us to bring our needs to Jesus. Help us to listen to his voice of love, invitation, and hospitality. And help us to take this walk, this walk of faith, where we listen to his voice, and yet we don't see fully the outcome of his promises. Enable us to walk by faith in this life, that we might be able to testify to our family, our friends, our co-workers, how good you are, Jesus. Help us to be faithful followers of you and to joyfully obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.